I love movies. Okay, Boomer. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grand House Podcast. We are here every Monday, mostly. Matt, we have a great show today. <laughs> How are you doing over there? You're bouncing. You're literally bouncing up and down in excitement. Yeah, I'm recording on my yoga ball again. I've got it under my butt here. It's a little harder, though, because I'm also wearing my cool tight blue jeans. And, like, Ooh. the two don't really go together. I do have um, some blue jeans that have spandex woven in, and I can do, like, cool yeah, karate kicks and stuff. These are not those jeans, though. These are no. just good old-fashioned cowboy-style tight jeans. And... Um, we would like you guys. We want you guys to know that as we are coming to you to entertain you, to talk about movies and art, that we're also working our our abs. Yes, and uh, and and restraining the lethal weapons that are Matt's kicks, so that nothing gets out of hand. Well, unfortunately, like a true Texan, I also have a big old belt buckle on, and also like a true Texan, I've been drinking a bunch of true texan beers and so it's lone star it's like the belt buckles like stabbing me in my belly right now while i'm trying to sit on a yoga ball in tight blue jeans that's why this you got to strengthen the abs ideal podcasting conditions that's uh, right that's yeah, right we, how's your we week been? for you the week has been good it's been interesting uh i had a something cool kind of cool happened to me i've um dipped my toes into the advertising world this week uh oh, un- unintentionally unintentionally they kind of came after me i um I, I sell these. I sell things on little trinkets on Etsy sometimes, and one of them right. is a, a little watch. It's like you want to you want to plug your Etsy store. Uh, I sell trinkets on Etsy sometimes. So you should look up Matt, no last name. <laughs> yeah. Trinkets on Etsy <laughs> sometimes. And buy them if there's any left. If I've made these right. recently, but uh, one of them is a little sundial that is like a wristwatch. Yeah, that one's cool. You, you know, the one, yeah, you've seen it, and uh, so I had yeah, these had these guys from your neck of the woods, some California boys, uh, send me a little message saying, "Hey, we need to get this thing overnighted. We want to use it in a yogurt commercial." And I'm okay. like, "All right, uh, well, you know, what's what's the deal?" And they're like, "Well, we'll buy it, and you just overnight it to us, and we're gonna put it in our yogurt commercial." And so I kind of say, "Hey, hold on there, boys. Uh, that's original artwork." So, you know, that's right. You got to get that cleared. You got to clear it. Yeah. And which they wanted, they wanted me to sign the release, but I was like that there's a pretty steep charge for signing that release form. So after some, uh, back and forth, uh, I was able to sell the watch for like four times what it normally goes. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so people be looking out. If you see a yogurt commercial with a, a man with a sundial on, on his wristwatch, uh, that's, that's me. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. We don't just we don't just talk to you guys. We don't just talk about art. We live the art life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've never done anything for in a commercial before, so that's kind of not really cool in my book. I almost didn't do it. Well, I, well, actually, what I did is I just told them this re- really high price. It it was weird. The cons- the um, production company shares the name of a uh, really gross TV dinner company. Uh, I don't want to name okay. their name, but it's yeah, Tyson. It, no, no, like it's <laughs> it's like. Why would you name your company this? Because that's a that's bird's eye something else. And uh, no, it's not that either. Hungry Jack, you're close. Uh, so Hungry Man, maybe. 
Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so I thought they were, I, that's what I thought it was. I thought it was these TV gross TV dinners. And I was like, I don't want my artwork in that. So I was just like, Oh, it's going to be really expensive guys. And then, but then when I looked them up, they're actually pretty talented. So, um, and also yogurts. Cool. I mean, I, I don't eat dairy, but like vegan yogurts, the bomb. Yes. And that's one of the things I, uh, it'd be different if this was like some, you know, frosted, Batman flakes, or you know, what I mean, something gross that's no, like yeah. makes kids no, all quality. unhealthy. Yeah, it's you know, I, I eat their yogurt, so I'm yeah, not quality you know, froyo. Yeah, it's good. It's not no, it's not frozen yogurt. It's just normal oh. yogurt. But oh, uh, that's okay. Yeah. But listen, here at the Grindhouse Podcast, we're all about integrity. That's right. We only we will only uh, shrill for items that we actually ingest and eat and use <laughs> yes. ourselves. Yes, like premium dark roast coffee. So if anyone would like to sponsor us. With their coffee brand, we'll happily accept that and broadcast you to the millions and millions of listeners all around the world that listen to the Grindhouse podcast. Uh, seriously, I mean, what are they waiting for? We're called Grindhouse. It That's makes what I'm saying. Grind. You grind coffee. It just makes sense. Why won't they sponsor us, man? It makes so much sense. Anyone who has a coffee company, the name lends itself to talking about coffee. And I'm drinking coffee as we do this podcast. Yeah, you don't even have to give us money. We'll take coffee. That's it. That's actually all I want. Or Lone Star, but which are the two things I usually ingest while doing this show. Good good coffee though. I'm pretty I'm pretty specific about my coffee. I drink it black. I don't add a lot of sugar and stuff to it. So it needs to be like primo good coffee. So aside from uh conquering the advertisement world, the the new king of yogurt the, the California king of yogurt, Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, anything else special happened this weekend? Or was last hmm. week? Uh, well, I got some art going to Portugal. That's pretty cool. Little Very uh, cool. Very Leonard, cool. Leonard Cohen tribute artwork I made. A guy out in Portugal wants wants to give it to his pops for uh, uh, Christmas. So I said, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So, so that's I'm sending, awesome. That, sending that out. Uh, global. We're going global. Well, talking about uh, amazing musicians and tributes to them, uh, after we recorded last week's podcast, I went to go see one of our favorite bands, Bauhaus. That is good. That's a good band. It was so great. Let me tell you something. It's rare that that bands do reunion shows and they're... I mean, I, I wasn't old enough to see Bauhaus in their prime, but that they can still do a killer show. You know, that they could still come out there and not just be sort of a shell of their former selves. Oh, yeah. These guys nailed it. I mean, Peter Murphy is not that long removed from having a heart attack. Right. And yeah. he was out there, you know, shimmering and shaking and oozing charisma all over the stage. Got all over my pants. Got all over my shirts. <laughs> the charisma just spl- – it's like a splatter zone. You know, you ever go to SeaWorld, you know, and you got you sit in the splash zone? That yes. was what it was like. It was like it was like Peter Murphy was a goth shamu just splashing the splash zone with his gothy charisma. It was amazing. Well, I remember a while back we had that DVD. I want to say it was like a 20th anniversary tour, a 25th anniversary yeah. tour. And uh, uh, they're backstage and Danny Ash is saying, you know, this is going to be a great show because we're much better musicians now. And, it, and they right. were like that was a really, really good show. So I imagine they're they're still rocking. A re- I mean. Some legends in that group, absolutely. Super, super tight, super strong. At one point, Peter Murphy did get mad at his earwigs and toss them and then flip off the sound guy because I guess they weren't in sync. But he was just as killer without them. So it was a great show. Really, really awesome. I don't know how many more reunion shows they're going to do, but for our audience, if if Bauhaus is coming anywhere near you, 
I recommend you make the trip because it's one of those experiences that you may not ever get another chance at if you miss it. So don't miss it. Yeah, we're getting to that point with a lot of groups now where it's going, you know, can you really afford to put this one off and just say you'll catch them next right. time? Uh, yeah. Okay, that that's kind of sad. Well, it's sad, but like I don't hear music that resonates with me that's coming up to replace that those bands. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that's not out there. It certainly may be out there, and it may just be a product of me not hunting new music but you know i think if we look at if we look at broadly speaking the the sort of the the zeitgeist the the thing in the air right rock is no longer um in the forefront like it might have been in in previous generations you know sort of given way to different types of pop and electronic and hip-hop and what have you so it's harder i think for rock bands to sort of come up to that level that these bands that are now fading away were ever at yeah, you sound super old right now. No, I'm not trying to sound old. I'm just saying, like, you know, there's. Are you ever gonna have another Bauhaus? Like, would the does the environment even lend itself for that? I don't know, but I mean, sure, there's still all kinds of rad, creative stuff going on. I mean, but yeah, we're not hunting for it just because, like, we still haven't really gotten around to fully finishing listening to all the cool stuff that we, you know came out even before we were true. born so that's true uh yeah it's who kinda, knows maybe in 20 you know, years there'll be a uh there'll be a hologram of little peep and people will think back they'll go see their hologram show of little peep and they'll think about it as lovingly as i'm thinking about seeing Bauhaus. what's what's little peep he was uh a mumble rapper who passed away but people are real big fans of his stuff okay you know and um did you hear about the uh the james dean being cast in a movie james dean what do you mean the 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 dead actor dead james dean they're doing like a hologram of james dean in a movie yeah yeah it wouldn't be a hologram be cgi but yeah cgi type thing yeah some little smaller film cast you know they they put out a press announcement that they had cast james dean in their movie and they were going to use you know i don't know vfx technology to bring him you know to cast him in the in the movie post humorously and and then we've seen in the past uh uh i think tupac came back as a hologram and there probably been others so i wonder if in the future the you know in the same way that we go see these older bands and sort of like hey this these guys still got it if we're just going to be going to holograms like in blade runner 2049 just holograms of bands that have long since passed or gone I think by the time it gets 2049, it's not even going to be like going to see holograms. It's going to be uh, you're at the bar and instead of turn on a song on the jukebox, there's a little hologram stage up at the front. And you can watch uh, the Ramones do a performance or watch the Rolling Stones do a performance. I think what it's going to be more uh, like that. What if we have some sort of cool technology where there's like contact lenses in our eyes that are also like Bluetooth connected to so some sort of like earpiece in our ear and we can watch any band on the stage and hear any band on the stage that we want. Well, you already don't need that because we have the best technology already and we've had it for some time. And it's called tribute bands where people that kind of <laughs> look like the bands you like, they put on clothes like them and they grow their hair out and they practice acting like each member of the band and they practice, practice, practice the songs and it comes out great. In fact, uh, probably should get on to the topic of our show. I just saw a movie today that um, could have done that CGI thing because it, this was a right. uh, sequel to a Good film segue. that was sequel to a film that was like 40 years old 
And uh, they wanted to have some of the characters from the original film at, at the same age as they were in the original film. And instead, they just hired new actors to play those characters. Imagine that. And it worked. Yeah. It worked fine. It wasn't. And, I mean, it was a little and, weird sometimes when because it, it was the Shining sequel. It was Dr. Sleep, which is kind of what today's right. show. We're doing a show about Stephen King today, by the way, guys. Uh, just and music. In, in music. And, uh, just in case you're coffee, wondering. And coffee, sponsorships. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, getting it. Yeah. But yeah. The, so um, it was a little off-putting sometimes seeing a guy that's, you know, so iconically known as being played by Jack Nicholson. Uh kind of being played by a Jack Nicholson impersonator but, or something, but, um, it but, worked. It worked. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So, so, so both Matt and I separately went to go see Dr. Sleep. I went last night at the Alamo draft house here in Los Angeles and Matt, you went this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Did you also go to the draft show. house? Oh uh, yeah. Yep. Look at that. Dave and Matt go to the draft house and, um, you're right. So, so, the, so an interesting thing, and, and this really starts off right from the beginning because, you know, we're talking about holograms of Little Peep and we're talking about holograms of of a James Dean. And right off the bat, Dr. Sleep starts off with sort of a flashback to Danny Torrance when he's, you know, riding his tricycle, uh, uh, you know, through the halls of the Overlook Hotel. And I fully expected because I've just been conditioned in this way um, to assume that they would, you know, comp in the face of the original actor. Like mm-hmm. I, I saw the Irishman last week. And they digitally de-aged, you know, Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, and so oh, no. uh, it, it it worked it worked in that film. But like you just you know because that's the technology that is used yeah. so so frequently, you just assumed it. And then when they when you got you know the, the the tracking shot starts behind the actor, and then when he stands up and you see his face, you realize oh they recast the boy. Mm-hmm. And then and then they introduce his mom, who was originally played by Shelley Duvall, and and they recast her as well. I mean she looks very similar to her yeah but but and and then you know later down the line there's a there's a a character that is insinuated to be jack torrance which like you alluded to was originally played by jack nicholson and same difference they didn't they didn't um you know comp jack nicholson's young face on a on a stand-in they just cast an actor that kind of vaguely looked like him and they groomed him in the same manner and you know, they, and in both instances, I, I didn't even really feel like they were doing an impression. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't even feel like they were doing like a Jack Nicholson impression, or you know, really, it was it was like close, yeah, it was a close performance, but it didn't feel like it was imitation per I, se. I thought the mom was trying to kind of do a little bit of a Shelley Duvall s- style, uh, but uh, it was still really cool, and it was a good movie. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, what did you think about it generally? Because because uh, I've I have to I've seen some stuff on Twitter. I'd like to get your opinion on it. But but first, how did you feel about the movie? It was cool. It was different from the book, but it was good. Uh, I thought the first two acts were really strong. You know, it was like if it was like a three act thing, I would say like the first two acts were really strong and really compelling, uh, setting up the whole world and the characters and stuff and how this connects back to The Shining. Uh, the third act felt a little rushed, a little abbreviated. You know, it felt like they, they hit a point where they were just like, we got to finish this movie uh, now. Just, you know, and, and also the audience is going to want to see a bunch of Shining stuff. So just throw that in there, too. Right. But, um, but overall, I definitely recommend it. It's a fun horror movie and it, it does feel like you're in a Stephen King movie or a Stephen King book. It does feel like you're in a Stephen King book. It did that really well. Right. Where the first film took the story of the book and turned it into a very Stanley Kubrick world uh, art film. Uh, this one stayed more true to the horror genre. Uh, the Stephen King, 
vibe, you know, and uh, that was a lot of fun for me. And if you're a big Stephen King fan, uh, it even had some really cool little Easter eggs thrown in there to uh, some of the stuff that, you know, some of his books that he's made that haven't been adapted to film or maybe that have been adapted to film, but in such a shitty way, we all just pretend it didn't happen. Dark Tower. Right. And it's funny because I am I'm like a 50 50 fan of Stephen King movies. They're either really, really good or really not good. But I, I was never a, I never grew up reading his books. You know, um, I grew up reading like sort of, you know, classic horror literature and, and more contemporary, like maybe Anne Rice, but but not really Stephen King. So some of these things I miss. So what, what were some of the references in Dr. Sleep from some of his other stories? Because uh, in a lot of his his sort of he's he's got sort of a, a Castle Rock universe, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't want to give any spoilers, you know, uh, to um, the stuff in there. Because when it, for the Stephen King fans, like when you see these the little Easter eggs, that, you know, the things characters say and stuff and the names of characters, it mm-hmm. was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a really cool surprise. So I don't want to spoil any of that. But just know that if you, if you are a Deep Tracks Stephen King guy, you're, you're going to get some rewards in Dr. Sleep. Well, so now I saw some things on Twitter that where people were saying, and I'm not saying it's a majority of people. It could very well be a vocal minority. We're saying that this movie was better than The Shining. Oh, it's not. <laughs> it's not a better movie than The Shining, but it's a. Uh, it's a cool horror movie. I mean, and it's like I was saying. Uh, you know, The Shining has a lot more of a, of an art house feel. This one didn't feel. You could tell they didn't feel the need to do that. They just wanted to make a really cool, consp- compelling version of a Stephen King story. And uh, they did a good job. Uh, they didn't. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what Kubrick did. It was. I really appreciate The Shining, but um, it was nice to see Stephen King just done in a Stephen King way. Yeah, I, th- I thought that I found again without giving too much spoilers. I did found that there was a lot of really, really compelling themes within the story. You know, things the the ideas of addiction and the ideas of and the themes of the legacy that is passed on from father and son or from parents to child, you know, and overcoming some of those urges and those, you know, in, in a real life manner and in, in ways that aren't just, um, you know, okay. I'll give you a great example. So one of the big complaints that people had about say game of Thrones was that Daenerys ends up being the mad queen because her father was the mad King. Right. Uh huh. Whether or not you felt like that was executed well or not, I think what most people had an issue with was this idea that crazy on that level runs in the family. And I think that a movie like Dr. Sleep could easily lean back into, well, Jack Torrance ended up being crazy. Is his son crazy too? And I thought they handled that idea in a way more subtly and grounded in reality manner. I don't know what your feelings were on that. Yeah, I think I know what you're referring to, and we'll we'll just go ahead and talk about that scene because he's the uh, Dan Torrance grows up to be a pretty severe alcoholic, a very troubled Correct. person, you know, and and uh, just living living a whirlwind of a life, and it has a lot to do with the stuff, the trauma that's happened to him, and the um, the issues that he's got with his shining powers and stuff like that. But um, uh, the way that he explains that in the film that. Uh, he uh, kind of only knew his dad as this raging alcoholic. And so when he drinks, he's able to get in touch with his memory of his father by kind of channeling right. him and becoming a violent alcoholic himself. 
that was an interesting uh, take on it. I thought that was pretty good writing. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so as well. And, and these are the sort, and you know, even the, the way that they tackle the idea of shining, right? Of whatever this um, this sort of power, this ESP that that Danny has as a child, and maybe there's some other characters that have some semblance of that. Like I thought, the way that they tackled that was really done in a manner that was not just supernatural, but also felt like to me almost like a little bit of a uh, uh, an analogy for for imagination and creativity. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. There's a line in the, there's a line in the movie where one character, a bad character, says to another character that um, you know, his his shine has diminished and gotten kind of gooey and dirty and clouded as he's gotten older, right? And um, it seems to be in the narrative of this story that that young people's shine is the brightest, and that there are dark forces, evil people in the world that are looking to dim your shine. To me. That felt like a great metaphor for for like growing up in a lot of ways. You know, you grow up with all this enthusiasm and this excitement and this optimism of changing the world. And then as you get older, like there are just forces around you. Like you see people uh, frequently refer to these people as like psychic or emotional vampires. right? Right. And they come into your life. These people come into your life and they just they dim your shine until what you're left with is this clouded, you know, barely a semblance of of the enthusiasm and the optimism you had as a young person. So I don't know if you picked up on any of those themes, but those are the kind of things that I really appreciated because I think it's relevant to people beyond just the supernatural element of it. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, the original uh, story was written when Stephen King was pretty young in his twenties and, uh, <laughs> or this one came out just a few years ago, I think 2016, maybe when he wrote that, right. uh, 15, I'm not sure. It wasn't, wasn't too long ago though. And, um, he, yeah, he might have been trying to say something about that, you know, about what himself as an artist, as a younger man. And, you know, he dealt with uh, Stephen King himself. He dealt with pretty, pretty bad addiction for, for a number of years, alcohol and I, I want to say even cocaine. Uh, mm. So, yeah, he had some issues for a while and he got over all of it. And uh, you are seeing in, in his recent works uh, a lot of those kind of themes. Um, a book called Revival that he did recently also had. Uh, themes of recovery from addiction, uh, characters who were, um, you know, uh, the man was a career musician and uh, right. he had been fired from all these bands because of, I think it's cocaine addiction or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, you are seeing that kind of theme a lot in recent King work. Well, and it's funny that you mentioned earlier a story that happened this week with you sort of having put the question of commerce and art, right? You know, someone came to you and they wanted to buy your art for commerce and it was a decision that you had to make. And I would assume that Stephen King, from the time that he wrote The Shining as a young man to Stephen King well into his 70s now, is has faced that with his art many, many times. You know, the, the bean counters, as they call them, and, and the people trying to just make commerce of his art. And do maybe the, the, the evil forces in Dr. Sleep, do they represent sort of these more commercial influences that, that dim your shine, that dim your art? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a hard thing to tell with Stephen King. He's, uh, he's, you know, he's pretty open to interpretation. I mean, he's, um, his, his writing has gotten, uh, well, it, you don't see it reflected as much in the books or no, in the, in the films, but, right. uh, his, his stories kind of take place in this very strange connected universe where it's almost like if, uh, the right kind of magic were to happen or the right kind of things, 
uh, any character from any book could end up interacting with another character in the future. Right. Yeah. It's Long a, it's before a, the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, Stephen King was interconnecting his characters in a manner that wasn't forced. They just all kind of live in this world. Uh, they all kind of live in this universe where magic and these weird sort of psychedelic entities exist and motivate and push our world in, in, in the same way that, that maybe another writer might use God or the devil as sort of their, their main uh, manipulators of events. Yeah. 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 And he's even got his own gods, uh, the, the turtle, uh, that's referenced in it. Right. Uh, it's kind of a God in a few different stories. It's, it's weird. Uh, did you see like a really shitty film called the dark tower that came out a few years ago? It had uh, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba. I did not because I, I love both those actors and I want to continue to love both those actors, but it looked like a shitty action film. It looked like an amusement park. Dude, it was so I opted, I opted out. It was so bad. I mean, uh, so the, the dark tower is a, uh, what seven or eight book long series by Stephen King, uh-huh. uh, that he's been writing since he was in his early twenties. It's, um, it's, it's this kind of all encompassing thread that connects every story he's ever written just about, and uh, they tried to make it into a film with Idris Elba and uh, Matthew McConaughey. And it, it ended up being this just 90 minute long, just piece of crap, really. It was just terrible. It was like pointless. It, it was it was weird. It was right. we were all excited when we heard it was coming out because it was supposed to be it wasn't going to be an adaptation of the first book or anything like that. It was going to actually be a sequel to the novels. And um, oh, right. which uh, which was interesting. But uh, no, they did a terrible job. But. I bring it up because um, that series for anyone that's read it or even started on it is so intriguing because it's you, you do start understanding that when Stephen King writes, he's always kind of in the same universe, man. Like he's very right. aware of his other stories that he's told. He's very aware of the themes that he's brought in. And like he there's a way that these things just fit together. And so, uh, yeah, Dr. Sleep even had some like I said, I had some Easter eggs referring to some of that stuff, which was really cool. Right. Well, because the the strength of Stephen King and actually why I think that he's hitting something of a resurgence is that there is an element of growth and spirituality that exists in all of his films. But it's not, you know, what to the reference I made earlier, it's not so much in the traditional sort of Western sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, right? What are the best horror movies? The ones that reflect the, the social anxieties of the time that they're made, right? And I think that a lot of people are experiencing existential crises in their life. We, we've talked about in the past sort of the resurgence of esoteric uh, practices and beliefs in modern America. Uh, if you look at politics, you do polls with millennials and something like 80% are in favor of socialism. I mean, th- there's a changing of the tide in the way people think and people are looking for a new way to think Stephen King his writing has always introduced new ideas well, I think he also creates monsters that are always fresh and interesting and uh, that's that's kind of one of his talents is like he's he's able you know like the the villains in Dr. Sleep the uh, the true not a strange little cult of uh, essentially what's what are vampires but they only feed off of a specific kind of energy that comes from psychic people it's really original, you know? It's just, it's still terrifying. I mean, the way they kill and the things they do, like, 
they're a they're a scary force, man. They're like it's pretty disturbing some of the scenes in this film. But uh, you know, there's nothing really like that out there. That's you know, because for the for the most part, everyone is safe from from them. They're not at, they're not like vampires just want blood. Anyone will do. Like there's right. a very specific kind of victim they're looking for. But it's still terrifying just to think that like something like that's out there. Well, and and what they do again, not to spoil too much, is they essentially feed off of people's specialness in a way, right? They feed off of uh, people who are, have special special gifts. They 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 mine and they use that for their own pleasure and their own benefit and their own you know status. In many ways, there are a cult of boomers. Uh, sort of, yeah, I guess. Just, I mean, just still, still they, like just feeding off the energy and enthusiasm of the youth and leaving them with nothing left, just taking advantage of them and and keeping themselves in power off the backs of young special people. Sounds like a boomer cult to me. <laughs> you think the boomers are feeding off of uh, younger generations? They're uh, they're taking a- absolutely. From us? They're entirely buoyed on the backs and of the labor of millennials and and to lesser degree maybe Gen Xers and certainly coming up Gen Zs. Well, don't, I mean, don't you think that if you didn't spend so much time listening to devil music and wearing cool T-shirts that like you could have maybe got you know a really good job and, and made something of yourself if you tried harder? Uh, I I do have a good job and I have made something of myself, <laughs> but I'm also. I'm also Mexican, so it doesn't really matter to to a certain degree. There's a glass ceiling, no matter how nice or normy of clothes I put on. Yeah, but don't you think that if you maybe didn't spend your weekends recording podcasts and you were like in a nice church and uh, you met it, you know, like you could you could probably have like a nice big house right now and a boat no. and stuff. Like, don't, no, don't you think no, so? I, I, no, I can't have <laughs> those things. I can't have those things because they have. Th- th- and this is why I draw this parallel, right? Because in and this is why I think this movie, I hope that this movie is a success, and why I think it's garnered so much interest, and why I could understand why a young person would look at this movie and relate to it on a deeper level than The Shining, right? Yeah. Not okay. that I think it's a better cinematic movie, but if you're a young person growing up, a creative person, uh, an artist, uh, someone who has a unique way of, of thinking, what are, what does the older generation do? Well, it tries to tries to take that shine away from you. It tries to dole you out. Like I know you're kind of making a joke, but it, it, it will say, hey, don't wear those unique clothes that make you a, a defined person. You know, dole that out. You know, be be like us. Go to college. Spend all your money. Get get a credit card. Go buy diamonds. Don't eat avo toast. You know, there's it, it, they're trying is to it, shoebox is it put you into a avo, box. Avo toast now? Just avo? It's, it's not, been like that for years. It's not avocado toast? It's like avo toast? I, I know. I sounded older earlier when I was talking about young music, but like, yeah, it's uh, been avo toast no, for a few years I've now. been in many restaurants in here in Austin, Texas this week, and I have seen it as avocado toast on every menu. At the Cuban restaurant, at the Draft House today. Hey, man, I'm, Listen, I'm hip, man. Let's not bring formality into this. <laughs> anyway, that was kind of off topic and uh, aside, but, but, but if you're a young person who feels like they have all this creativity and individuality and and, and wants to try to approach life in a different perspective, it's common to feel like the older generation comes and takes that shine away from you, right? That's like like a mob trying to like strip away everything that makes you interesting and make and and in many ways, 
I'll draw even a further parallel. Dan Torrance, played by the national treasure himself, Ewan McGregor, uh-huh. who's who's probably what of the age of Gen Xers. What does he do the whole time? Stifle your shot. Keep it hidden. Just just fit in, right? Like he's not a bad guy. He's not a boomer, but he's also has to be convinced to be a good guy. He's kind of just trying to be trying to be or Switzerland. He's trying to be Switzerland. <laughs> kind of be in the middle, you know. Just yeah, yeah. keep your head low. Just. Put your nose to the grindstone and work, and, and maybe you'll stay out of the crossfire. I think there's a lot of generational war undertones in this story. Well, what are these? And I think that makes sense. What are these boomers supposed to do? Just sit back and say nothing as Die. young people? Uh, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> uh, sit back and say nothing as uh, young people just express whatever gender they want to express and uh, yes. love whoever they want to love yes. and uh, work hard towards creative solutions to today's problems rather than just do the same thing over and over. I mean, these are guys that had to get up at 5 a.m. and drive an hour and a half to get to the bank and work. And they did that for 40 years working at the same bank just to retire so they could, they could take some vacations. I mean, and they did and that. The and they're supposed to just sit back and say nothing as we try to have lives that actually make us happy. Yes. You, yes, they are. No, that's you, exactly but, what they're I mean, supposed to do. Yes, that's what they're supposed to do. But also... I'm not trying to. Be, I mean, I'm not trying to be like boomers advocate, you know, or like too sympathetic. <laughs> I don't want to be over sympathetic, but like, do you realize how hard that is? How jealous they must be watching. I mean, think of all the uh, the clo- Just we'll just think of um, think of all the what, closeted what? homosexuals in the boomer generation that sure. stayed that way their whole lives, and until they maybe even convinced themselves they weren't gay anymore, and. I mean, think of the uh, the outrage when they're just watching young people just freely get, you know, get the jobs that were denied if they would have expressed that side of themselves or, or, or the transgender people of that generation that couldn't express that side of themselves because they wouldn't have been able to find work. And well, they probably the completely with, destroyed that side of themselves at this day. And they just have to watch the, as people can can do the things they weren't allowed to do. Well, it, it's not that they weren't allowed to do it, per se. If you think about it, if you if you look at history and you look at the boomer generation, they were the flower child generation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. A lot of the very a lot of the the doors that are being knocked down by this generation, specifically millennials, were were doors that we even recognized because the flower child generation was like make love not war, you know, equality, acceptance, uh, burning their bras, women's right to vote and have a place at the table and all these all of these ideas weren't originated with millennials. They were they, they really came to prominence during the early part of the boomer generation, but they sold out. They killed their own shine. They were their own vampires. And so what they've become is these these greedy, uh, insecure um, gatekeepers that can only maintain that status if they kill the shine of a younger, more creative, more technologically advanced, generation and i think that what this what this movie could be alluding to is that when a younger more creative generation pushes back it's now their time to take over it is now their time to be the leaders of this world because the old guard is only hanging on off the backs of a younger workforce Wow, I i mean i didn't get any of that from this film but um (laughs) but it i i are you sure that it just hasn't kind of been on your mind some of these subjects? And, no, and, uh, I mean the whole time I was no, looking for it. Maybe? No, the it, it, no, it's funny because the whole time I was watching it, like 
the my first initial thought watching the film was, um, oh, this is like symbolic of like stealing someone's creativity, right? But then there were lines. Uh, sorry, there's, there's a character that dies. I don't want to give a spoiler. Right? There's a character who dies, an older character, and as he's dying. Uh, one, another character is like reminding him of all this power he's had over the years. Oh, like, okay, yeah. You know, rubbing elbows with kings and popes and this and that and the other. And, you know, um, you could see that they're, they're like, uh, that group is like on its last legs, right? Like they're like the last, the last grasp of power. And there's even, there's even another line in another part where, where he, where the, uh, Danny Torrance says like, these guys don't fear authority they are the authority he essentially says that well it, you know, so there, there's even another part where they talk about how the um psychic energy isn't as rich and pure as it used to be and then they start saying is it because of smartphones and and social media and the internet and video games right so yeah maybe you're right something maybe so yeah super super boomer sort of ideas like in their mind because oh, because yeah. really you know, bo- boomers again, think that like Social media and smartphones are just pure poison, even though they use it all the time. No one posts more on Facebook than my mom and my older friends. But like uh, for some reason that like (laughs) that is the thing that makes the younger generation just completely useless. They have oh, they have technology. So they're just crap, you know. Well, and what it really is, is it's it is um, being on smartphones and the the technology that's available to young people. It doesn't. It doesn't empower the boomer generation. They can't exploit it as easily, you know, um, because what it does is it spreads information and ideas and, and knowledge and and uh, you know community in a different manner that's harder to exploit. I mean, they're doing their damnedest, but to them, you know, the the vampires in Doctor Sleep feed off of fear, right? And and shine, and if. And if people are less scared of of your parlor tricks, then you have less power over them. Yeah. And so I feel like that's kind of what this group represents. They represent this old guard that has lived off of fear, and the current generation just—I mean, look at our look at our young actress. She doesn't fear them ever really throughout the entire film. Oh, I mean, she, there are moments of was, it, but like for the most part, she's she very job, defiant. Yeah. Like, do you remember a few years ago there was that young girl who sort of. She's a young young girl. She sort of drew a, a, the pose, a, or maybe it was a statue. I forget what it was. But it was like standing in front of the bull. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was a think, statue. Yeah. That yeah, was, it's like um, this younger generation, or uh, or well, uh, I, Greta. I, I, I hate. In, well, Greta Thunberg is wonderful, but the uh, yeah that statue that inspired you so much. Um, we got some bad news for you, man. <laughs> Why are you gonna ruin my shine, Matt? <laughs> I'm not, dude. But I'm gonna give you a dose of reality. Um, so first off that, you know, cause I'm, I'm a bronze sculptor, so I know about statues and sculptures and I follow, you know, I know, right, I know yeah. things, right? Yeah. So, so that bull was uh, donated to, um, the city to be put on wall street, uh, after the stock market collapse and recovery, the artist mm. wanted to say the American economy is strong. And so he donated this big bronze bull that he put a lot of effort and money into making. Um, right. and so then, uh, which is okay. Was that's one thing, but um, and, and over time with Wall Street's corruption and stuff, the bull came did come to represent some corrupt corruption and and the, the power, uh, unchecked right. power and stuff like that. And so when that little statue of a little girl showed up out in front of it, it was pretty inspiring. I mean, to see this, you know, the future generation, the female future generation, standing in front of the the Wall Street symbol 
absolutely inspiring. But there's an inscription on the statue. Uh, it says something along the lines of she is she is not afraid or something like that. But if you uh-huh. look at the she, it's a, a capital S, a capital H, and a capital E, which are, um, I don't have the, the information with me here, but they're the, uh, the initials of um, what I think I want to say is a, um, what do you call it, a hedge fund? I think they're the the, oh, the initials no. of a hedge fund product uh, that mostly, you know, in their in their defense, uh, mostly endorses uh, female run businesses, but not only, not exclusively. It's a hedge fund; they want to make money. And so, what that was—that bronze statue standing in front of there, getting all the attention—was actually an advertisement for a hedge fund called called She. Wow. Yeah. That's she, she is not afraid. All capital letters S H E. She is actually a product that you could buy. Oh. So, that's so that's the world we're in, man. You See, know? this is what even I'm talking about. What's killing the shine? Actually, uh, yeah, even the inspiring stuff is actually a commodity or like a ad or something. And so, to me, so so this is a great example. To me, this is exactly why, this is exactly why I think a film like this is resonating because as as a as a as a piece of cinema, uh-huh. it's a fine film. But I think it's it it in no way holds up to The Shining in terms of just like craft, right? Right. But movies aren't just craft. Movies aren't just craft. They're emotional. They're emotional releases. And I think that part of what people are connecting to is this idea is that they can relate to the young characters. They can relate. To, and, and I guess and there's really in, in many ways there's three generations being represented through the different characters involved here. And I think depending on where you're coming from, you'll relate to one of these characters and 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 feel like it is speaking for you and the trials that one has to face just sort of coming up in this modern society. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shoot. Uh, I, I didn't get all that from it in my first watch, but I I think I will be watching this one again. Um, I, uh, so, and, and to the audience out there, cause I think, I think we've <laughs> stayed away from spoilers enough that we haven't ruined the it's film. Best we could. <laughs> yeah. So I think you can still, so I, I'm going to say, uh, I recommend the film, uh, definitely go watch it. Dr. Sleep is fun. It's, it's an action packed film. The characters are great. You and McGregor does a great job. Uh, the whole cast is just wonderful. And, um, it, it has a, a lot of respect to Stephen King. I think more, more so than the first film did. That's great. Well, yeah, the first we talked about the first film is sort of just Stanley Kubrick saying, "What was it? The the, the red car yeah. smashed." Like he just yeah. yeah there so you he, go. There's your film, Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas this one, this one sort of had more of the sentimentality of of Stephen King's works. And again, I hope that it does well. I thought it was really really fun. Uh, I enjoyed it. If there's an Alamo Draft House near you, go see it there. I think that you'll have a really great time with it. And uh, hopefully, you guys weigh in on our social media and let us know what you guys thought about it. And I'm going to give this film five tusks and uh, two beers because you got about enough time to drink two good, strong beers if you're at the draft house while you watch it. Agreed. And I, I'm going to echo that five tusks and uh, uh, some cauliflower uh, crispy. Oh, but right. did you get the buffalo and cauliflower? I got buttifo- that. And, yeah. Man, yeah. did you also have two beers? I didn't have two beers because I already had two white claws earlier <laughs> two white in the claws. night. And I did. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. I was partying good, hard. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, wow, we ate, we pretty much had the same thing. That's amazing. Because we were in sync, sir. <laughs> no one, no one, no one is going to dim our shine. Questions from the crypt.
Anacho Christ Superstar asks, what's the most boomer movie ever made? Okay, yeah. I, so I've covered that on the sh- on one of my solo shows before, but for those who weren't hearing uh, what, what I said about that in the Ask Matt Anything episode, um, Death Wish, the Death Wish series, the original from 100%. the 80s. Yeah, that is and, like... And the remake. I, yeah, I didn't see the remake, but I'm sure. I mean, especially, yeah. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's like a total boomer fantasy. It's like stand your ground laws before they even existed. It's just like an old grizzled man that looks kind of out of shape that you know no, everybody knows used to be a badass, and he just he's just going around shooting punks, you know, at will because he doesn't like them or they are too, you know, they don't listen or you know. It's just like yeah, it's, right. it's everything that every like grizzled conservative Trump supporting man wishes he could do on a daily basis. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's the reason they all buy guns. It's when you, when you, when you can't fight anymore and you just, you still want to have an edge over younger, stronger men guns. And that's death yeah. wish to me. It's just like, imagine if we could all use our guns as much as we wanted. So well, that, not only yeah. that, but it's, it's almost every, ter- um, not Tarantino movie. It's, it's almost every Clint Eastwood movie. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. It's like a, a grizzled old man yard. just like waddling around a neighborhood, just telling punks to shut up and pointing guns at them and calling them, you know, derogatory terms for, for a gay person. And, you know, just, yeah. I mean, listen, listen, <laughs> listen, I'm sure there's going to come a time when I'm walking around a feeble old man, all my mental capacities, maybe no longer as sharp as they once were wearing depends. And I all feel in that moment, probably a, a, a lack of, of, um, of power and maybe a sense of inferiority, but it's not real guys. You buy all the guns you want. That's at a certain point you got to let go. It's time yeah. to pass the fucking baton. Well, you ever think in these, um, in these silly movies? Well, just real quick, these silly movies were like it's always the same thing. There was a while there where like there was like a new one of these types of movies every year where it's like super old actors, mostly men. Yeah. Occasionally, like Helen Mirren would be thrown in there. Are the only ones who can like save the day because the young guard is not efficient, and so they waddle up from their wheelchairs and their nursing homes, and they go back into action one last time. Oh, you're talking about like the Expendables and and Red. I think it was yeah. called Red was one of them yeah. with Morgan Freeman and everybody, and it was like, yeah, they had to call in the uh, retired agents to come and help. Uh, it's like a boomer's wet dream. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, so there's that, there's the one where it's just like, uh, no one's got the expertise except for the retired people. And then there's the one where it's like the racist old man walks around the neighborhood pointing guns at people and like pissing on stuff. But for some reason he's the hero of the film. (laughs) Right. Because, because, because there's this whole generation that feels like that's what they want to do. Well, what I was going to say was, did you ever think that, uh, you know, we've always had kind of out of control gun laws in America, but they've gotten just insane recently. And, you know, maybe it's because, you know, the re- there's a reason they're called the boomer generation because the baby boom, there's so many of them. And maybe it really yeah. is because like our largest generation, like one of the largest populations in America has um, gotten too old to fight properly. So now we just have like crazy gun laws that let everybody carry a gun and shoot. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, listen, you could argue that they never could really fight. I mean, it's just this well, just the nature of the way generations work. I mean, look, if you took anyone in their prime from that generation at say 25 <laughs> yeah. the most skilled as, as skilled as you could possibly be if you were a boomer what, what if you were 25 as a boomer that puts you what in the 60s okay mid 60s yeah. all right so take the most skilled person from the 60s okay and put them up against the most skilled person in 2019 probably someone from mma right 
They're going to lose. I don't, because I don't know because, about all this. I don't know. About, I do know about this. They couldn't this is a reality. as good as we can. I don't know about well, that. Well, but listen, this is, and this is not an indictment I'm, of like I'm one just generation they're, being. They're well, hold on old. one second. Hold on. Oh, yeah. No, no, hold on one second. Uh, this is not an indictment that, say, inherently one generation is better than the other. But, you know, as generational things go, you build off the backs of what came before you. So, like, Bruce Lee. And all his skill set in the '60s yeah. wouldn't stand a chance against, you know, a, a, a mid-tier UFC fighter. Not, not because they weren't, hmm. but but just because that mid-tier UFC fighter learned from learned the moves. Uh, it's like technology. Learned it's mo- like yeah, yeah move, move from yeah, learn from Bruce Lee, and yeah. then use from Mike Mike Tyson, and learn from Evander Holyfield right. and Royce Gracie. And so it's not their fault. It's just the nature of it that the technology, that the the generation that comes after you will in theory at least have access to everything, all the knowledge that you had. Yeah. Plus some. It's like Highlander. They have the quickening. <laughs> okay. I want to. I, I think I should clear something up real quick though, because like this was well, this was going to be like a kind of a tribute to Stephen King episode, and it's just been this like <laughs> blast on the Boomer Generation, which he's a part of. So I just want to. Should we maybe make that clear that he's, I guess, one of the good ones or something? <laughs> I assume that Stephen King does not do anything by chance. He's a very thoughtful writer and so i i actually feel like he probably looks around his contempt i mean just certainly looking at his twitter yeah punk rock dude oh right yeah stephen king is a pretty socially conscious guy and i would imagine that he looks around his generation and is kind of embarrassed by the way a lot of them behave yeah totally so uh what what other questions have we got christopher nedick asks are you excited for the color out of space how do you feel about the new surge of interest in hp lovecraft that seems to be popping up yeah i am excited about it i I still don't remember. I, I remember a while back I was talking about, we were talking about that and I was saying, I hope it's that one yeah, where right. the, the hillbilly is like having all the crazy visions and stuff. And I'm not sure if it is. I remember liking color out of space, but there's just so many of those HP Lovecraft short stories that I don't remember which one it is. And I haven't seen the trailer for the, the film yet, but um, I know it is one of his more unique stories and yeah, I am pretty excited about it. But I think, I think that it's telling. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this earlier today, and we talked a little bit about this last week when we were talking about Guillermo del Toro. This generation is um, has a different way of viewing the world or, or, or handling the world, the rigors of the world. And there has been a resurgence in, in esoteric beliefs and uh, more communal-based sort of social economic practices. And I think that something like a Lovecraft story is more appealing than, say, like a slasher. Right. If we talk about the movies in the 80s and the slasher films of the 80s was like, don't do drugs, don't have sex. This will kill you. Very black and white, very like Reagan-esque policies. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you look at like Lovecraftian, it's very uh, stylized. There's a sense of romanticism in it. There's a dark sort of mystical energy underneath them. There's these themes of madness and what is reality? And there's a, it's way deeper in a sense. And I think that's more reflective of the current generation, which is really trying to find their belief system and really trying to define it and looking at new avenues to, to suss out their belief system. Well, you know, you mentioned Guillermo del Toro, and uh, he's actually been trying for years and years now to get the funding to create a uh, film, another film based on a Lovecraft story called, uh, I think it's Beyond the Mountains of Madness. I think that's the one. 
Right. But, yeah. uh, it was a really cool book, a really weird book. And it, it's, a, it's an interesting one because it kind of takes place, you know, he was writing so long ago. There was so much we didn't know about the world. And so it kind of, uh, it's kind of one of those sci-fi stories that, well, it's, it's, it's a horror sci-fi almost, that, but it's kind of one of those stories that wouldn't work because the, we know the world's not like that. We know it's not hollow. You know, we know there's right, not like right. a hole in Antarctica that, in Antarctica that well, leads but hold to the hollow but, world. But, but, but we say that, but there's a whole contingent of people who think that the world is flat. Yeah, but not enough to fill the movie theater seats <laughs> to, to think of that. But I hope not. But, but I, <laughs> I would like to see more of that. You know, uh, I think of uh, books like uh, Asimov, I think it was Asimov, uh, Currents of Space, uh, you know, just weird sci-fi stories that were written in times when people hadn't didn't have all the, the research yet and saw the universe as a much different thing. And um, they they kind of feel like I think the general concession now is that like those films aren't really adaptable to film because people know that that's just not how the the universe is now. But I would like to see some of those stories from, uh, you know, from from the flat or the hollow earth or the the space that is full of uh, moving currents of chemicals that we used to believe, you know, weird stuff like that. Right, right. Did you um, did you see the movie Shutter Island? No, I didn't see that one. Well, uh, it's great. Scorsese film. So look, at the very end, th- there's a quote from Leonardo DiCaprio where essentially he has been the person that he was born who killed his wife because she killed his kids or he's the person that he imagined himself in his mind, which is a detective on the hunt of this case, right? There's this elaborate sort of role play that gets him to realize that, hey man, this idea that you're a detective, it's all in your head. This is just like a coping mechanism. He says, you know, this place makes me wonder which would be worse to live as a monster or die as a good man. I think that that's applicable to this generation. Um, you know, we, we've talked about in the past some of these things that people, this, this sort of sense of mysticism and, and spirituality that people are sort of are buying into. And maybe it doesn't perfectly align with science. What generation? You know what are you like, talking about the boomer generation again? Are you talking no, about that? Bo- no, I don't. No, I'm talking about mostly millennials at this point, right? Millennials and Gen Z, like the the up and coming generation. Um, I think that there is some of the, some of the beliefs, like for example, the uh, a, a resurgence in tarot, right? Okay. Now, does tarot reading align perfectly with science? No, it does not. Th- right? Not at okay? all. Actually. Would, um, well, but but this is my point. <laughs> this is my point. Okay. I think that we look around the the world around us. This is the reality, right? Yeah. It's pretty ugly. No. It's pretty ugly. I disagree. I think it's beautiful. Well, I disagree with that. It's an ugly, ugly place where people do terrible things to one another all the time. But it could be a beautiful place. It's, it's both it of those be, things. It could be a beautiful place if we allow ourselves to just give in to fantasy a little bit. To give in what? to um, a, a, super, a sense of supernaturalness. If we allow ourselves what? to be imaginative a little bit. Hold on one second, Matt. Like there is <laughs> right. why if you if you do tarot cards, yeah, right? And okay. through tarot cards it helps you get to some self-realization. Why does that not that not have worth? Oh, that has worth. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. If you uh celebrate witchcraft holidays uh-huh. and you uh you put out an altar and you celebrate uh Samhain, and it brings you a sense of remembrance and appreciation for the things that you have. That doesn't align with science, but doesn't that make the world just a little bit of a better place for oneself? Perhaps. Uh, getting back to tarot, I would say 
if there is some kind of um, way that you can use the cards to find, you know, value in yourself or get some like kind of cool insight that you didn't have before, um, you probably because because I don't see any evidence the cards hold any true power, uh, supernatural power. That means that whatever vehicle you're using to find that uh, that insight, um, you don't need the cards. So maybe uh, figure out what the actual extract of it is and like get better at that part and you can get that insight in, in other... Because here's why. Because if you find out what what's actually leading to the insight, then you can adapt that. If you realize you don't need the cards and that you're getting you're finding an insight and the cards are just the vehicle you're using that means you can adapt that to something that could reach other people there are people that could let use the question. insight you're talking about but would never let you do a tarot reading but they might let you do something like art therapy with them but you can't be a slave to science beliefs in the same way that people are slaves to say that the catholic church and ignore that there's negativity attached with it as well and the reality of it is is that a lot of younger people look at the world around us and they say the environment may be past the point of no return. The housing market houses are and, and the, the things that we manufacture are in worse shape and have less value and last for less time than things of our past. And technology is being perverse in a manner that just maximizes profits while minimizing standard of living. And they see that. And they say, maybe it wouldn't be worse to just die as a good man and to throw yourself into a little bit of fantasy just to make this existence in this hellscape of a world a little bit more pleasurable. Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's, well sure. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to that Lovecraft film. Carlos Cockhand asks, how can I get this smell in my pants to go away? Science. Tarot. Do a spell. Do a ritual, get a white candle, get some incense, take your pants and put them on an altar, throw some uh, potpourri and dried herbs on it, and cast cast that smell far, far into the ether where only dark goblins and ghouls and orcs and boomers reside. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the OK Boomer Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast or listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify. 